Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 132. The persecution has begun. Yeah, I know, I know, we've been persecuted for years, but now it's coming with earnest in America along with prison time, and it will no doubt morph into death sentences in a short period of time. We'll examine the situation in this episode. Nigeria is a rough place to be a Catholic. Catholics aren't only persecuted there, but the terrorist organization Boko Haram regularly slaughters Nigerian Catholics with machetes. Despite this, the Catholic Church is growing in Nigeria at an enormous rate. The Nigerian soil is fertilized with the blood of martyrs. My book cover designer is a young Nigerian Catholic mother. Her name is Emmy. She attends Mass and goes to Eucharistic adoration every day, risking her own life to do so. The persecution of her family has recently gravely increased. Emmy just had her sixth child who's having health problems. Her husband Patrick has been forced out of work because he's a Catholic. The National Bank of Nigeria has blocked funds from the United States. I spent two weeks trying to find a way to get money to Emmy's family. We finally figured out how. Emmy has a friend in Great Britain who will forward the money to her. All I could afford to give her was $100, which was the widow's mite for me. But by her response, you'd have thought that I sent her a million bucks. The baby's sick. The family's hungry. There's no income. Emmy can't do her graphics work because of the sick baby, and Emmy and her family live under the constant threat of death just because they're Catholic. By comparison, you and I don't have any problems. For the next several weeks in all of my show notes, I'm going to include a link for you to help Emmy's family. I'll send her the money given every week. If you're already helping this apostolate and can't do any more, please stop giving me the money and help Emmy and her young family. God will help this apostolate somehow, but this Nigerian family needs your help badly. Please be generous. When we think of domestic terrorism, we think of radical Islamist sleeper cells who come out when activated to inflict as much harm on Americans as possible, and Marxist groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter, groups who burn our cities and physically attack ordinary American citizens without any reason whatsoever. After the way cities burned last summer, police officers were ambushed and murdered, and ordinary citizens were hurt and sometimes died at the hands of these America-hating groups. One of the few things out of Pretender Biden's administration that we've hoped for is a national policy for identifying and dealing with these radical and dangerous organizations. Well, it's finally happened, and you shouldn't be surprised to learn that fake Catholic Joe Biden is targeting you. 
Last month, with virtually no reporting from the media, including those traitors at Fox, the Biden administration released its report titled National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. They say that, quote, the two most lethal elements of today's domestic terrorism threat are, one, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists who advocate for the superiority of the white race and, two, anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists such as militia violent extremists, end quote. On its face, that sounds like something we can work with. However, Michael Voris is an expert at digging down into the actual meaning of such things to get at the truth. On July 8th, Michael did a Vortex episode about this frightening report. I'm going to defer to Michael right here, then come back with my own commentary. It went almost entirely unreported, of course, in the mainstream press. But last month, June 15th to be precise, Biden's White House released a first-of-its-kind-ever report entitled National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. The 32-page report was accompanied with a fact sheet that gave a few concise bullet points for those who wanted the Cliff Notes version. In short, if you are a white, heterosexual Christian male, they're coming after you. That such a category has long been viewed with intense antipathy by the Marxists is nothing new. What is new is that the office of the President of the United States has now developed a national, pretty comprehensive policy for dealing with you. For the record, you'd be hard-pressed perusing historical annals to find a time in world history where religious persecution did not first begin as political persecution. Multiple times throughout this official government document, being white is labeled as akin to some extremist position. Biden appointed a bunch of fellow Marxist goons for, from major institutions, and they produced the biased report based exclusively on their worldview. In other words, garbage in, garbage out. From the fact sheet, a key finding by the anti-God crowd is this. The two most lethal elements of today's domestic terrorism threat are, one, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists who advocate for the superiority of the white race, and two, anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists, such as militia violent extremists. Precisely what are they talking about? Most lethal? Seriously? Across the entire nation, white supremacist groups haven't killed the number of people in a year that rival black gangs in Chicago have in just a weekend. Lethal? In the actual report itself, Biden's goons point to the KKK as a historical reference point, craftily sidestepping that the KKK was populated by the Democrats. Republicans fought against slavery. That was the party's beginnings. Democrats fought for it, and in their policies, they still do. Economic slavery brought about by horrible schools, the supposed war on poverty, welfare state, which has destroyed the once laudable black family and created a never-ending cycle of despair and violence. That's what's actually lethal in quantifiable terms. But unelected Biden doesn't care about any of that, nor do the powers that control him. 
This entire report is just a smokescreen, a pretense to begin coming after their opposition. Race, it's just a diversion. It's a weapon that the Marxists have to employ in America because the usual class warfare doesn't work here. The middle class is too sizable. So for ideologues who need to divide in order to conquer, they have tapped into America's past of slavery and brought it forward to the present, utilizing it to stoke as many fears, prejudices, and so forth as possible, all designed to create division that they can then profit from. Interesting, the report makes not a single mention of the violent extremism of BLM, you know, the mostly peaceful protest, or Antifa, which burned cities across America last summer, causing billions in damages. But of course, in the Marxist world, not all violence is created equal. Some violence is understandable, it's acceptable, even to be promoted, as Kamala Harris did, and as when she insisted on that during the campaign. Biden is setting up a false enemy, and then using that enemy to attack his political adversaries. His adversaries are not white per se. His adversaries are those who hold an opposing worldview rooted in God, not his atheistic Marxism. So they refuse to bow to the politics of the sexual revolution and its resultant disastrous consequences. Open homosexuality, destroyed families, rampant promiscuity, off-the-charts, destructive pornography, and so forth. If you're a believer, then it's simple. There is no such thing as believing in God and yet denying spiritual warfare. If there is a God, then you must accept that there is a spiritual being who revolted against him and brought death and suffering into the world. That is our material, temporal, as well as spiritual reality. That's just life. This being, Satan, detests the human race and focuses all his energies on bringing about its misery on earth and ultimately in hell. That is a worldview Marxists reject because they are controlled by Satan. So anything that comes out of a Marxist mouth is a lie or lays the groundwork for a bigger lie to be promoted and accepted down the road. Biden can't go directly after Christians per se, at least not right now, so he has lumped them into a category that his Marxist news media has helped him create, the domestic terrorist. They are white, don't you know? Well, Biden and Chris Cuomo are white, so there's got to be more to it than just that. They're both male, again, so there's got to be two more than just that. They're both heterosexual, as far as we know, so there's got to be more to it than just that. It's not a white male heterosexual thing. It's a white male heterosexual Christian thing. That is the defining quality, religion, thinly veiled under the cover of racism. But not just Christian per se, but believing Christians who do not accept the hegemony of the sexual revolution. If you reject the pride crap, then you're a hater. And if you're a hater... You are in the domestic terrorist camp, and you must be dealt with. Talk about more than one way to skin a cat. At the moment, the report doesn't have the force of law, not directly, but it is policy, and that's no small thing. The White House has the power to track, investigate, spy, and so forth through federal law enforcement agencies, the FBI, for example, anyone it deems a domestic terrorist. That's the upshot of this report. So while no, it's not a law passed by Congress, it is pursuable by law enforcement. 
But it doesn't stop at just a federal law enforcement level. The report talks about the need to expand the net to catch domestic terrorists through cooperation with state and local law enforcement, as well as social institutions, such as corporations. It's not very hard to imagine to picture how this is all going to unfold. You need to understand the alliance here. We can call it an unholy trinity that exists currently between the government, the media, and corporations. They work in close unison with each other. What one can't do, the other one or two does. At the moment, for example, the government cannot institute an actual law discriminating against you based on your religious beliefs. But if your religious beliefs, for example, are deemed dangerous, a corporation can either not hire you or just fire you. And if you don't believe that, ask the thousands of American workers who have been fired because they will not get the COVID shot owing to their religious beliefs. And that's just for starters. Any Marxist takeover needs a propaganda arm, so enter the national media. Their job is to create fear and panic in people by telling stories, like the January 6th insurrection fiction, for example. By making stuff up, fake news, they get to push unthinking people into a state of being afraid of all these domestic terrorists. Pound that drum. Just keep pounding it. Ignore real news like black-on-black crime and just go with the white terrorist story. The goal is to create a groundswell of people who want the government to do something about this danger, which, of course, the government, ruled by Marxists, happily steps in and does. First by examining the problem with a group of experts, then producing a report. The report then goes on to make recommendations and suggestions, create a strategy for dealing with the most dangerous threat to American democracy. That's called demonizing. And those controlled by demons are always the best at demonizing. Biden and his Marxist crowd mean to eradicate you from the body politic. They still have some work to do. The Trump interruption saw to that. But the clock is ticking, and right now they have the reins of power, and they're in the lead executing their strategy. As a subtle reminder, maybe not so subtle, recall, these Marxists came to power through no small effort of many U.S. bishops who either supported them or fell silent in the face of their evil. They promoted, and still do, phony Catholics who, in a supreme devilish irony, are frequently the political, social, and media leaders of the Marxist movement sweeping the country. Of course, Satan would use apostate Catholics to erect an unholy trinity in opposition to the actual trinity. I hope that was an eye-opener for you. Antifa and Black Lives Matter are who the average American citizen views as the very definition of domestic terrorists, but they obviously aren't the focus of the Biden strategy. You and I are. You might be thinking this won't happen that all of this can be turned around after Republicans take Congress in 2022 and the White House in 2024. I really hope you're not thinking that, because if you are, you're naive. The Democrats realize that, all things remaining equal, they don't have the proverbial snowball's chance of winning in 22 and 24. But nothing is equal, nor will it ever be again. Knowing that they can't possibly win in the midterm and general elections, why in the world would they come up with this evil strategy now? 
After all, Republican victory in upcoming elections would reverse this policy, and there certainly isn't time to get it off the ground between now and polling day. They're initiating this policy because they know that after the next two elections, they'll still be in power. The Democrats aren't going anywhere. As I've told you repeatedly in past episodes, we've become a one-party rule nation. They cheated and stole the election last year, and by golly, they're going to keep right on doing it. But Joe, a lot of states have enacted new election integrity laws. Hey, you're right. They have. But do you know why those laws aren't worth the paper they're written on? Because not one single state banned the use of those computerized election machines and returned to traditional paper ballots. It's through those machines that the Democrats stole the election, and Biden knew they would long before the election. Speaking to an audience on October 24th last year, he said, We've put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Really, that's what he said in public. If you don't trust my quote here, go back to episode 106 where you can hear it in his own voice. If you don't trust that because it's in my show, just Google the words, Joe Biden says he's built most extensive voter fraud org in history. Joe Biden and the entire Democrat organization knows that they will win every single election moving forward, no matter how angry and disgusted the American people are with them. Just the other day, I read where Kamala Harris doesn't have a prayer of winning in 2024, and that's from Democrat voters. But I'm telling you that if Harris runs against Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis in 2024, Harris will win by a narrow margin, because they've got to make it at least appear feasible, but she will be the next pretender in office. Oh, we'll still win. We have to, at least for a while. Purple areas of the nation will turn blue and red areas will turn purple. But you'd better believe we'll be under a one-party rule forevermore, just like California and New York. While that happens, Biden's national strategy for countering domestic terrorism will get implemented. Democrats in Congress will make laws specific to us, and federal law enforcement agencies will be dragging us away to prison. When they begin, they'll divide us into two groups. They'll do so by those who are passive and those who are aggressive. Those of you who will be passive, like the vast majority of Jews in Europe during World War II, will be taken away without so much as a peep of protest. While those passive souls are being herded away, Congress will pass laws in a power grab to eliminate all local law enforcement and make everything from shoplifting to murder fall under federal jurisdiction. Then they'll come after those of us who are more aggressive. The whole reason why the military is being re-indoctrinated with CRT and labeling Trump supporters as white supremacists is because the Dems are going to use the military to come after us. This is all speculation, I realize, but it's the only theory that fits in with what's going on. Assuming this is true, then, we have to make up our minds as to which group we're going to be in. If you choose to be a passive sheep, well, I'll certainly pray for you. I, for one, will be in the aggressive group. 
I may be sitting in a wheelchair with the full use of only one arm, but I'm an American fighting man. I'll fight to my final breath for liberty. Joe, you're getting too far ahead of yourself here. Average American people won't stand for that. Yes, they will, and I'll tell you why. The vast majority of them who claim to be Christian aren't. They don't even go to church, but they'll side up with the government in half a heartbeat the moment they realize that all practicing Christians are going to prison. They're embarrassed of Christ and his religion. Barring divine intervention, we're sunk. We can't win this thing without God's help. I'm not too sure he'll help us, though, after the way we've allowed the slaughter of millions of innocent babies that we could have stopped at any time and flaunted mortal sin in his face with billions of sacrilegious communions, artificial contraception, bad marriages, and other sexual revolution sins. Reparations have to be made. So what do you want to do? Me? I'm going to fight. I'm a real Catholic. I'm an American. I'm a warrior. Cardinal Blaise Supich, Cardinal Joseph Nighty Night Baby Tobin, and Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky are going to have to shed my blood to take me, and rest assured they'll be participating. This Catholic American warrior ain't going down without a fight. What are you going to do? Paid for by Michigan for Ryan D. Kelly with regulated funds. Michigan has come to a major crossroad, and you have the power to change the political landscape of our great state. Ryan D. Kelly is the leader for the job. During some of Michigan's darkest hours, our current governor broke many laws and used her power to cross the line of our constitutional rights. At the same time, Ryan stepped up to the plate to play his part in letting the voice of the people be heard. Today, you can join Ryan in the fight for the liberties and freedoms that belong to the wonderful citizens of Michigan. Visit RyanDKelly.com. That's R-Y-A-N-D-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com to find out how you can get on the front line for this generation and future generations. This is Ryan Kelly, and I approve this message. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. Cities all across Cuba were filled with pro-freedom protesters in the largest demonstrations to hit the island in more than 60 years of communist rule. The protests erupted as Cubans have suffered months of food and medicine shortage. In several regions, protesters marched with the image of Our Lady of Charity. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to the Catholic vote. Gun sales skyrocketed last year, and according to a Washington Compost report, many first-time gun buyers are members of the anti-gun political left. In blue cities and red suburbs alike, firearms purchases soared last year to the highest level in a century based on federal background checks, the Washington Post reported. A striking portion of those sales went to first-time gun buyers, 
according to the Firearms Industries Trade Association. Wow! That's just incredible! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number three. three. Hats off to Just the News. The Conservative Political Action Conference in Dallas held a straw poll of its activists on who they wanted to be the Republican presidential candidate in 2024. Former President Donald Trump easily won the contest with 70% of the vote, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a distant second place at 21%. No other candidate topped 1%. That's awesome, dude! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number two. Hats off to the Hill. A professional art gallery estimates that art from Hunter Biden could fetch between $75,000 and $500,000 each. The White House defended the sales arrangement despite concerns that sales could mark a conflict of interest. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki said a system was established to allow Hunter Biden to work in his profession within reasonable safeguards. Why, you must be delusional or something. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News News Pick pick number one. Hats off to the Daily Wire. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts designated July Victims of Communism Remembrance Month. The governor hosted a ceremony featuring Nebraskans familiar with communist oppression. Included at the ceremony was State Senator Lydia Brash, whose family fled Ukraine to escape Soviet domination. That's what I'm talking about! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair! It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp. With your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Once upon a time, I love stories that start that way, don't you? Once upon a time, a great king wanted to honor an old childhood friend. He gave his friend a large estate and a princely title. By his royal decree, the king made it so his friend and all his descendants would enjoy the princely title, estate, and wealth in perpetuity. Imagine suddenly being created a prince. But rather than being forever grateful, the new prince and his wife became proud. They tried to establish their own kingdom and rebel against the king. They failed in their rebellion, but the king mercifully spared their lives. However, the king took back all he'd given them, and they became mere subjects again. When the children grew up, they realized they could have had title, land, and wealth, and the respect of the entire kingdom, if only their parents had obeyed the king. They were sorry for what their parents did, and held no ill will toward the king, because they understood the reason for the king's punishment. 
As children of disobedient parents, they willingly accepted the punishment deserved by their parents. But the king had a very kind and gentle son who loved the children of the disobedient parents. He loved them so much, in fact, that he went to live with them. The son begged his father to give back to those children what they'd lost. For the sake of his son, the king restored all that the children had lost for their parents' disobedience. In a nutshell, this story is the salvation history of man. Man in his original state was perfect. God created Adam from dust and breathed life into him. Then he created Eve from Adam's rib. He set them up in Eden, paradise. Adam and Eve were given dominion over everything, the animals, the land, the elements, everything. They were commanded to be fruitful and multiply, which they did, and which is how the entire human race came to be. Paradise was remarkable for Adam and Eve. God gave them many wonderful gifts. The greatest gift God gave Adam and Eve, our first parents, was the gift of sanctifying grace, that is, a sharing in his divine life which made them holy and gave them a right to heaven. Among some of the other gifts God gave our first parents were superior knowledge, control of their passions by use of reason, and freedom from suffering and death. By giving them superior knowledge, our first parents had dominion over all the earth. With superior knowledge, they had no reason to fear the animals of nature nor anything else in the natural world because they knew how to subdue it. By giving them control of their passions by reason, Adam and Eve weren't driven by desires of the flesh. Control of the passions by reason means they procreated based on God's command and their own reason, not lust. Having freedom from suffering and death means they were intended to live forever, that when they had lived on earth as long as God intended, rather than die, he'd simply take them to heaven to be with him. God only gave them one rule to live by. He told them they couldn't eat the fruit of the tree of good and evil. They still lived on earth, so they lived by faith. Although our first parents were created holy, they still had their God-given free will, which means they could choose between good and evil. When the devil tempted them, they knowingly, with superior knowledge, and willfully, with free will, disobeyed God. Because of their sin, our first parents lost sanctifying grace and the right to heaven. They lost their other gifts too, becoming inclined to evil and subject to ignorance, suffering, and death. This means that original sin, which has been passed down to us from Adam, causes us to enter the world from the moment of our conception with the absence of sanctifying grace and the right to heaven. Original sin also causes us, as it did Adam and Eve, to be inclined toward evil and subject to ignorance, suffering, and death. However, original sin doesn't make our human nature totally corrupt. Our mind can still know truth and our will is still free. Therefore, we can still do good and avoid evil, but with greater effort and God's help. The remedy for original sin is the king's son who came to live with us, Jesus Christ, the God-man. He died on the cross to redeem us from sin and restore sanctifying grace to us. The ordinary means of removing original sin is through baptism. The effects of original sin, however, continue to stay with us. These effects may be partially remedied by reading scripture, religious instruction, 
like this Catholic boot camp, prayer, devout reception of the sacraments, voluntary penance, and obedience to God's law. All of them. Let me urge you to read the Bible every day. You don't have to read a lot. Just spend 10 minutes a day in Scripture. I'd recommend you begin with the four Gospels and Acts, which I think you'll find exciting, then move on to the other books. I always recommend the book of Tobit in the Old Testament. This little-known book would make a great modern movie. Read it and you'll see why. Religious instruction can be done from these Catholic boot camp segments or getting my free email course, but you really should go further. If your parish doesn't have anything in place for continuing adult education, there are lots of good Catholic books and publishers like Ignatius Press and Tan Books. You'd do well to order my Secrets of the Catholic Faith, which is available on cantankerouscatholic.com. When it comes to prayer, develop a daily regimen of prayer. Begin with at least some morning prayers. I always start with the Fatima Daily Offering and a few prayers throughout the day, ending with an examination of conscience and active contrition before bedtime. You can gradually advance into a deep conversation with God on a daily basis. When it comes to the devout reception of the sacraments, you might need to make some adjustments there. Devout reception of the sacraments would be to do as the church recommends. It's disturbing to me to see nearly everyone go to communion at Mass, but hardly anyone taking advantage of confession. The church recommends that we go to communion once a week, but says it's better to go every day. She also recommends that we go to confession at least once a month, but says it's better to go once a week. Most Catholics don't even go once a year. Combine doing the two as the church suggests, and you'll discover benefits that can't be put into words. Also, remember to do penance on your own. When you want a cup of coffee, for example, put off having that cup for five minutes. Then tell God you're offering up that legitimate desire as a gift to Him in reparation for your own sins and the sins of the world. The effect this has on your thinking, your soul, and your relationship with God is amazing. Paid for by Michigan for Ryan D. Kelly with regulated funds. The patriots of Michigan have had enough, and Republican candidate for governor Ryan D. Kelly is ready to be the voice for the people of Michigan. Ryan is a grassroots American patriot, stepping up to play his part in making Michigan a national leader while keeping our American Republic strong. As a man of strong Catholic faith with an incredible wife and five beautiful children, the future of Michigan is a matter close to Ryan's heart. As the 50th governor of Michigan, Ryan will fight to normalize transparency and integrity within the government. Ryan D. Kelly holds our great constitution and the freedoms and liberties it provides in high esteem. Michigan needs a governor with a backbone Visit RyanDKelly.com. That's R-Y-A-N-D-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com for more of our Michigan First policies. This is Ryan Kelly, and I approve this message. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. 
This week's Catholic quote is from St. Peter Julian Imard. He said, Happy is the soul that knows how to find Jesus in the Eucharist and the Eucharist in all things. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. An old missionary in China, before the communist takeover, stood before a group of his first communicants on the morning of their first Holy Communion. He spoke to them about the dangers of the world and showed them how a Christian who carries Jesus in his heart is able to resist these temptations. He told them the story of 13-year-old martyr Tarsisius, who offered to carry Jesus in the Eucharist to fellow Christians who were to die in the arena the next day. He carried the host in a linen cloth against his breast with his arms crossed over it. On his way to the prison, he was stopped by a group of heathen boys. One of the boys had once been a Christian, so he knew what Tarsius was carrying and told the other boys that they should steal his god. But Tarsisius kept his arms folded over his breast. When the boys began hitting him, he said, I cannot, I dare not, I carry my god with me. Tarsisius fell dead under the blows of his persecutors, but he never surrendered his god. The moment communion came, standing before the last boy in line, Albert, the old missionary's hands began to tremble. With a fervent prayer on his lips and somewhat hesitant, he gave the boy communion. Albert was the son of a burglar. Only a few days ago, his father had come home from jail. His mother had died long ago. When Mass was over, Albert had nobody waiting for him. He stood alone in a hidden corner of the church and prayed to Jesus. O oh Jesus, let me be like Tarsisius. I carry you in my heart. Never let me give you up. Never let me surrender. When Albert got home, his father greeted him with scornful words. He even wanted the boy to help him in a well-planned burglary the following night. But Albert said, I cannot. I dare not. I carry God in my heart. The father beat his son with his fists until blood spurted out of his nose and mouth. Neighbors heard him screaming and ran to the rescue. They found Albert dying. The priest was called. When he arrived, Albert crossed his arms over his heart and whispered, Don't worry, Father. I didn't give up Jesus. I didn't surrender. Then the boy died in the missionary's arms. The people erected a little white cross above his grave with an inscription. Like Tarsisius, Albert died but did not surrender. The grace of Jesus and Holy Communion gave Albert the strength to fight off temptation and even die rather than give up his friendship with God by the sin of theft. His father demanded that Albert steal, but he knew he couldn't obey a parental command that's sinful. When temptation comes, you have to say with Albert, I cannot, I dare not, I carry God in my heart. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.